Hey everyone, Chris Alcoholic. Man, it's so good to see you, Ryan. Uh, talking about God's demonstration, man. And it, and I'm sitting here and I was getting like Risa too. And all and all of you, man. Um, it's just an honor to be doing anything for Alcoholics Anonymous with Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, it's all I ever wanted to do was be a part of something. And uh, it's crazy. Like the last place that I ever wanted to be was here. And it, it's like the only place I need to be and want to be. Um, we got some people out here that are going through it right now. And it's I'm thinking about like how God works. And uh, I was able to to attend a dear friend of mine's wife's funeral Saturday. She she passed of cancer in her 40s. And they were both in the rooms. And, uh, you know, I go out every Friday and get coffee with this man. And I'm doing that for probably four or five years while he, he trudges this and uh, to see him and God work in his life Saturday amongst hundreds of people um, going through probably one of the more difficult things. And just to like get that perception, like that, not that he's bolstering, he, he actually stayed pretty quiet and to see examples like that around me and to be able to sh show up for stuff like that is such an honor. And, and I didn't know, that that had anything to do with Alcoholics Anonymous when I came in, truly. Like, e even being in and out for a long time, I always thought it was about, like, Chris getting right. And for me, and, and what could I get out of, of Alcoholics Anonymous? Not like, I didn't think it was an ego thing. I didn't, I just thought it was about me. And I got what I got, and I got me. And uh, I got a lot of what Ryan talked about, you know, those, those consequences. And uh, it's just such a beautiful life now. It's beyond my wildest dreams. Um, I still pinch myself a lot of days. I, it, I just truly feel it's the bonus round, no matter what happens. Um, it, it's just, I know where I could be and probably should be. And, and, and to sit here today with you people is amazing. Um, and like Ryan talked about when I, when I was younger, man, I, I, I always thought that, uh, my alcoholism was based on my, my circumstances. I thought it was based on my consequences. And I thought too, like if I ever ended up like these people, you know, there, there was really a cause for concern and, and it caught me really young. It caught me really early. Um, and it was only through doing some kind of step work to really, really understand how I truly suffered. You know, I thought when I picked it up at 11 years old and I was really off to the races and, and in a facility at 14, you know, I, I thought well of myself during those times, man. I was a, I played sports all year round. I was a very good athlete. Um, I had to be the captain of every team I was on because if I wasn't, who would I be? Um, and, and, and besides being an athlete, like if I wasn't a captain, like I would just haul, like I tried different sports. And if I, I wasn't the man, I, I, what was the point in being on the team? You know, and, and that's how my, my life looked as a kid. Like if I wasn't the best, I just didn't want anything to do with it. If I wasn't the man in this group, I would just leave and go find another crew of guys to hang with. And, and it was just, you know, looking back. Like, that's my alcoholism, like the true essence of this spiritual malady, which they, they taught me how I suffered. I didn't know that, like, because I can't stop. That's a piece of it, you know, and, and, and that hit me young. Right. That physical allergy that Silver talks about in the literature. Like, I couldn't stop. And I knew I was in trouble. And uh, at 17, I hit a place where I signed myself in way upstate and I knew I was done. You know, I was what? A lot, of, a lot of promises at 17. Like, I can't do this anymore. They're like, your liver's failing. I'm sucking on alcohol, wipey pads, breaking into a first aid kits, uh, strapped on and, and detox beds at 17 and uh, drinking hand sanitizer. And they're taking that out of the hospital rooms. 
and I was just, it, it got, it got me quick. Right. And, and the hardest thing for me at those days and at the end was like, I always meant so well. Right. I, and, and Bill talks about it and it's talked about in the stories throughout the book, that hopelessness, man, I'd always come back with that sweet resolve and those promises, you know, it, it was to mom, it was to the school, it was to my girlfriends. And I meant business, man. Like in that moment, lie detector test, I'm not going to do it again. I, you know, whatever it was, not use again, not beat you up again, not steal from you again. I would cry in all earnestness because I thought I, I was done and I didn't want to do those things. But halfway through the day, it would just sneak its way in. And, and there I was chasing it again. And the book tells me I forget. I got this this forgetter, right? And so I, I come in and out for so long and I'm battling that first step. And I'm like, man, I was just digging in a garbage can for a hot bag to get a meal. And here I am with the luxury of, you know, entering another facility and they're going to take care of me. And I thought that was it. And, and I would go to another bottom and, and hit another place. And, and I talk with the guys I get the honor to work with about this bottom deal. And, uh, you know, we had this misconception and I had it for a long time that like I had to be locked up homeless, uh, you know, all these sorted places for me to hit a bottom. And that's not the facts. The book tells me the opposite of that, right? Like I had a, I was in a speaker meeting when I was young in my twenties and there was this guy sharing and he had, he had a cat, uh, a mansion and they found him in his son's treehouse with a suicide note. And, and he was sober and I, and I was elbowing my sponsor at the time. I'm like, what is this guy, man? I'm like, he, he, he wasn't face down in the sand, you know, bumping music at the beach. Like what the heck is he doing in here? And uh, come to find out, he wanted to kill himself sober because he couldn't find a way out. And my sponsor gently sat me down and told me, they're like, Chris, there's no difference between you and that man. You wanted to kill yourself. He wanted to kill himself. It just looked different. And that was kind of my first separation of bottoms in, in this internal malady that the book tells me I, I deal with. You know, and then I stick around for a little bit and they start telling me that like the way I suffer, yeah, it's because I can't put it down. That allergy kicks in and I'm off to the races and I got to be, you know, something really bad for this drunk has to happen uh, for me to get the note. But it's before that. Right. And, and I could never imagine that like I'm at my sickest point before I put it in me. And until I was ready to hear that and really not up here, but like hear it down deep inside that really made sense. And that answered a lot of questions. The book says my problems pile up astonishingly and they become difficult to solve. You know, and here's this great guy with a great family and love given to me and star athlete. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting in these places like, what's wrong with me? And guys are kicking me out of these horrible places. They're like, dude, you got to go. And I'm like, look at you, man. You're living in these. And they're like, Chris, no, there's something wrong with you. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, has it gotten that bad? And I, and, I, and I pick up a 24-hour chip and a 30-day chip and a 60-day chip, and I get the kid back and maybe get a, a roofing job for 10 bucks an hour, and that's my aspiration. And um, I might get a Section 8 apartment and maybe pick up the year chip, which happened a couple times. But I didn't know that I was still so sick because I wasn't identifying that it happens before. Like, I was just prepping. And I didn't know that, man. All the heat was off. Everything had calmed down for a little bit. I got what I wanted, and I just... I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And guys tried to tell me I just wasn't ready. And uh, come to find out after time and time again, coming in and out, I'm like, okay, it's got to be the first step. And we just hone in. I'd get a new sponsor. We'd go to first step. Bah, 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 and I'd go back out. I'm like, man, it must've been the fourth step. And we come back in and I'm writing a gut, man, I, I got molested. This happened like all these, and I let it all out and I go back out and I come back in. I'm like, man, what is it? I made all these amends. 
And I still went out and maybe I just didn't gut it out enough and, and go make it, make it right in some areas. And I'd go do that and I'd go back out. Maybe I just wasn't sponsored enough guys. And, and, and I'd come back and I'd pick up a few more guys and commitments and I'd go back out. And that was my story. Like I never took the foot off of AA. I, I pushed self more into it. That was my experience. Like I was the guy that you would see overdoing it and still going out and guys' heads are spinning. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, what are you doing? And I really thought I was incapable of getting this. I remember sitting in meetings in Rochester, New York, crying like a baby because I just thought I was different than everybody in that room. And everybody else was getting sober. And I wanted it so bad, but I was incapable of getting it. And I didn't know what was wrong with me. I'm like, I sponsored guys. I trust God. I clean house. I help others. I don't know what's wrong with me. And uh, it wasn't until I hit this last, this last end of the road. And, uh, you know, I'd come in and out of the rooms, man, and I'd get the kid back and, and everything would be great. And uh, I'd go out and I'd come back and she'd be like, dad, what's wrong? You know? And, and, I, and I'd look in her eyes and I'd say, Zoe, it's not going to happen again. I promise. Right. And who wants to hurt their little one? Right. Like my mom was dying of cancer and I'm stealing her medication and I come back and I'm walking over the bridge to go to the hospital with every intention to see what my mom's doing. And I walk through those doors and those problems that were still just sitting here. And I couldn't sit with myself and I'd be squirming in the seat. And as soon as she dozed off, I'm in her purse and she'd come to and I'd be gone. Because I just couldn't live. I couldn't sit there any longer with myself. And, uh, you know, my first step, you know, I, I come back in this last time around and I'm out of, out of the Rocky music stop playing. I always use that because I come in and I'm dying and the guys are like, dude, are you done? And I'm like, well, I just need to do a 90 and 90. I got to get a service. I got to do this. They're like, dude, what is wrong with you? I'm like, well, that's what you guys told me. And, and the whole time inside, like, I mean business and the music's playing and da 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 and I'm dying and I don't even know it. And they're looking at me like, oh, my God, like, what is wrong with you? And I, and I didn't know what I didn't know. And uh, the last time, you know, I got in that Section 8 apartment in a really nice neighborhood. <laughs> and no, it wasn't. And, uh, and and I meant business. And, and I really did this time. And I almost died in that apartment. You know, I wasn't homeless. I wasn't incarcerated. Uh, you know, there were some good people in my life. You know, those circumstances didn't look as bad as they had prior to that. But there was something different down inside of me this last time that just snapped. I remember sitting in that room and it was like just a mad circus and I was losing my mind. And I, I had enough stuff concealed in there just to take me out. And I couldn't get loaded anymore. I couldn't drink enough. I couldn't dry goods. Nothing was working. And uh and I was up for a week and, and I just hit my knees and I said, I don't know. You know, it was like probably the first honest prayer that I'd ever done. And then divine intervention had happened. You know, I was supposed to be in a facility on a Friday. This was a Sunday and I missed the cab and um, was out in this place called Clifton Springs. And uh, they know me well at this point. It was a facility that you didn't uh, really need a. Uh, uh, insurance or too much. It was a drop zone. And then they connect you with the place. And I've been going in and out of there for a while because of that reason. And the guy called me Sunday and he goes, Chris, I was off shift Friday, Saturday. He goes, where are you? And uh, I had a phone, which I used to sell. So I don't know how I had a phone, but it just all lined up. Right. And he called at the time and he said, he goes, can anyone get you out here? I'm like, dude, no one's answering right now. Like, <laughs> like the calls, the, everything's done. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he goes, well, let me give your mom a call. I'm like, yeah, right. Good luck. And uh, once again, that, that woman called me and she said, I'm giving you one more shot. 
And she came and got me and she drove me an hour out and dropped me off. And uh, the book talks about if it wasn't for the, the, the mothers and the wives, most of us wouldn't be here. And I forget that a lot. You know, I want to give the praise to, to God and what you talk, God. We know that. I know that. I'm not confused about that. But like, oh, if it wasn't for my sponsor, if it wasn't for my sponsees, if it wasn't for AA. Dude, I had a lot of people that got me to these people. And my mother was one of them. God bless her. And uh, she dropped me off there. And uh, and they were like, dude, what is going on? And I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, that's probably the most honest thing you've said in a long time. Because I always had a plan. And I was just out. I was like a bobblehead, you know. And then we talked. And they're like, where are you going to go? And I'm like, I don't know. And I had the luxury of going down to Atlanta for the World Convention. Because I had about eight months sober before I hit that last thing. I went back out. And uh I met some cats from Arizona and my, actually my wife now I met down there, girl meets boy on AA campus. And that wasn't planned. I was actually trying to, whatever, that's a different story. We'll get there. But uh, I was there for AA and uh, I guess I got AA. So I'm in there and uh, they, they started making outreach calls and they said, well, you know, you're only going to be able to stay here for about seven days. Do you have anywhere to go? In the meantime, they got me a bed. They're like, it's going to be about a month. I said, dude, I have no idea. So they kept me for a month. They got me on a bus, got me out there. And, uh, and I got to rewind a little bit. It was around Christmas. I got sober on 11, 23, 2015 and they kept me and I got out to Arizona right after Christmas. My mother had called and broke me out. She's like, you know what? We want you home for Christmas. And I couldn't believe it, man. I was, I was sniping that house. I was scaling the roof. I was going in windows. They had restraining orders on me and I shouldn't be there. And my mom wanted me home for Christmas. And she was, she was in stage four of cancer at the time. And, uh, just the love that she showed, that unconditional love, um, no matter what. And uh, it didn't always look like that, but that day it did. And, and they got me on the bus and they got me out here. And I came up broken still. And, and I grabbed a sponsor day one. They told me to do that. I didn't like the guy, but he he knew what he was talking about. I could tell how he moved. I was studying. It was the first night H and I had come in. And I said, I need a guy to work with, man. I need. I want what you have. And and we started getting busy and we talked about that, you know, that first step in depth, man, about, you know, what it's like before the first one, preceding the first one, the mental blank spots, the, the strange, peculiar mental twist, those types of deals. Right. And we talked about it. And what's it look like, Chris? Like what happens? Um, and the only thing like my analogy of it today, and I share this with my guys, is it's like a hot dog in a microwave. Out here, they call me the hot dog. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> because that's what happens, my skin just starts to tighten around me, right? And it has nothing to do with the drink in the moment. It has to do with a living problem, the spiritual emptiness inside of me. And I cannot fulfill it. And I've tried my whole life to be a captain on a team, to be the guy to have the prettiest girl, to be the coolest guy in the club, to be the toughest guy. All these things I've tried my whole entire life to fill that freaking hole inside of me. It didn't work. So now I'm left raw dogging it. And, 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 and the skin's about to pop. And the next thing that comes is that thought readily supplanted with the idea. And I pick up. So he's like, okay, so we got to do some work around that. And he goes, this is an actions thing. And, and, and this is what he says to this day. He doesn't want to hear anything. He, he's like, we take the actions. God's got the outcomes. And that's what he talks about. And this guy I trust, I admire. When I call him, it's one of two things. He goes, well, what actions are you taking? And where's God in it? And, and he always guides me back to God. That's that's what he does. You know, he's got 30 years of solid sobriety. And uh, he brings me to the, to my maker. Uh, and he tells me the truth. He, he, he says, Chris, I can't fix you. 
you know, I'll call him up with an issue. I don't know, Chris, like, what does your God say? What have you done with God? What have you done for others? Those are the questions he poses to me. He doesn't you know, like try to solve my problems. If anything, he tells me the opposite. He can't. And I need to hear that stuff, right? Because that allows me to do the same thing with the guys I get to trudge with and take through these steps. Because I want to play God. I want to tell you what's going on. I want to do psychotherapy with you. I want to, I want to tell you about jobs and wives and relationships. And that's none of my business. Um, you know, so I started, you know, getting busy. He goes, there's 150 guys in this facility. He goes, who do you hate in here? I'm like, man, I'm like probably 137 of them. And he goes, do you think you'll last without getting in a fight? I go, probably not, dude, because I really, I hate myself. And that's what I do. I just take it out on others. And he goes, okay. He goes, you're going to pray for all those guys. You're going to do things for those guys. You're going to um, ask them how they're doing, especially the ones that you can't, you can't stand. He goes, you're going to stand close to those men and they're going to help save your life. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I had heard things like this in the past from our sponsors I'd had in the past about like doing chores for guys and not telling anybody and altruism. Like I, I knew it up here, but I would do it just cause I was told, you know, and I did this just cause I was told, but there was a bottom inside of me where it started doing something into my spirit. And I think it had a lot to do with that surrender. And I was still under the impression um, that God might still not have anything for Chris K. Right. Like, that, that second step, you know, and, and we started getting into the steps. It goes, dude, what, what do you think? And I'm like, well, dude, you know, I've gone through four and five. We'll do all these things. I'll share everything with you. But I don't know if there was a stone left un, untouched. I'm like, and that's my problem. I can't understand or identify, you know, where I was missing. He goes, you're missing God, bro. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I got a relationship with God. He goes, yeah, it looks like. It. And I said, man, and that, it, and it didn't hit me like a, like a gut shot, like a physical gut shot, but it was like, wow. And that's what I had been missing the whole time was that second step. Um, and I know when we go through the, the material and the literature, sometimes we go over it and it says with a minimal of concern. For this alcoholic, that second step, that was the stone. And the book tells me it's like this arch, right? And that cornerstone. Nothing could be built without it. And uh, we did a lot of work on that second step. We had to come to realize that I was insane. I knew that clearly, like Ryan had mentioned. But uh, I couldn't get to the fact that he could restore me. But the, the funny thing was he had already restored me. And I couldn't see it. Because my restoration of sanity looked like longevity. It looked like the kid. It looked like the wife. It looked like my sanity will be relieved when my, my picture's painted how it should be, how Chris wants it. And God's not concerned with what Chris wants. God's not concerned with my happiness, I come to find out. He's only concerned with my usefulness to others. And I just missed the mark on that for so long. And I didn't know that. I, I had to be beaten down in submission to even understand a concept like that. And I still don't. The book says common sense thus becomes uncommon sense. My common sense tells me I don't like Paco in this facility. And if he gets near me too much, we're going to have you know some words. Like, that's my common sense. My common sense is... You know, God doesn't love me. My common sense is I've done everything for God and he hasn't done anything. Like, that's what I think. That's what I come in with, these lies. But it's only through action that I start to get this relief. And it starts to seep down from my brain, down into the gut. And that's the longest journey for this alcoholic. And it still is to, the, to this day a lot of times, right? I still suffer uh, by choice. But in those early days, those feet had to get moving and they had to get moving quick. Because what I come to find out is I met my God through doing service. 
Um, it, it wasn't through doing the mumbo jumbo and, and doing the third step prayer a hundred times a day. Yeah, I got close to my God like that. Yeah, I got close to my God getting quiet, doing, but doing things for others when I didn't think it was going to work. Um, I remember I started writing my inventory. My mom was dying at the time. She wasn't doing too good. And uh, my daughter, Zoe, had, had written me off. I was incarcerated in 2012. And uh, one day I'm getting divorce papers from my lovely wife, who was my therapist at one point, And I thought that was the healthiest relationship ever. And uh, a week later, my daughter shows up and she was 12 and she goes, Dad. And I was looking at it a lot of time, like I went to trial, whatever. And we didn't know what was going to happen. And one of the least most selfless things I did was sign that paper. And I, I cut my rights. She said, I'm moving to Washington state. She goes, I don't want to ever see you again. And I signed that and I went back to my park. And uh, that was tough. And that was in 2011, actually. And then in 15, I got sober. So I hadn't talked to her during those, those years. And uh, it was a good thing. It was the best thing she had ever done. And, uh, so I'm in this facility and I'm writing this, this gut wrenching forth on, you know, all the damage I had raised. On it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Those fears came up, my mom, my daughter, but before that was, I will never have anything to offer anybody. That was my biggest fear at that point in my life. And that was my honest fear. So my sponsor started coming down and I got off a restriction on 30 days and he picked me up and he'd take me out to meetings and uh, he took me out to an H and I out here. And I had like six months or two or 60 days. And I'm like, dude, I have nothing to offer. I'm like, I'm not going there, man. I'm like, that's not for me right now. He goes, shut up, get in the car. And he started bringing me to this H&I. And I'm struggling with the God thing still a little bit. And uh, I just sit there and I'm just taking it in. And I'm watching guys. And I go week after week, week after week. I'm working the steps, you know, doing what I do at the facility. I'm in meetings. And uh, something started to change. And I could start to see a lot of guys in there laughing i see the the whites in their eyes you know their eyes are just starting to change a little bit and i'm like wow this is pretty cool and uh that's where i found my higher power was on those wednesday nights and it was within me it wasn't around me like i always thought it was i thought god was in people and then he is but for me i thought my life had to consist of this external god and the book tells me in the literature specific, it's deep down with inside me is where my higher power rests. And I could only find that through doing the actions that my sponsor in this book teach me to do. And I can't write that. I can't think that it's a spiritual in nature type deal. And I can't earn it. It's through doing things I don't want to do because I don't feel I'm worthy. And then I found this guy and I started doing business with him and, and great things started to happen. And uh, for this drunk, when I got through four and five that hour of quiet time was was the most precious hour up until that point. I probably never spent my life, man. Um, I remember being in that facility and there's 149 guys minus myself. And I go into the chapel, they had a chapel connected to it. And I'm still better than or less than like I have been my whole life. Like I'm just the man or I'm like the lowest scum on the face of the earth. I could never just kind of be eye to eye level with another human being. You know, maybe I looked like that and said I was, but deep down inside, it just never, I never matched up. And uh, I go in there, I spend this hour and I, I knew the business. I looked over the first five proposals. I'm like, man, I think, I think God has something to do with this, right? I think, I think there is a higher power and he's inside of me and he loves me and he's going to take care of me. And I walked out of that chapel, man. And before I went in, I was up here and it, for the first time I could just look at these guys, man. And I just smiled. 
Paco and these guys I don't like. And I'm just like, wow, just God's kids. Just like you guys talked about. And I never believed it. And that, that, that was my experience. And maybe an hour later, I wanted to kill Paco again. But like in that, in that moment, there was some solace. And we got busy, you know, and uh, looking a lot at lot, six and seven. My sponsor says we, we stay in our seats because of six and seven. He said we serve 12 step like that's the facts, the foundation. But he goes, we got to keep growing. He goes, six and seven is what we got to live in. And he talks about fear nonstop. You know, he says selfishness, self-centeredness driven by fear. The book tells me is my problem. And, uh, you know, when when I call him up and I'm jammed up and I'm angry or I'm like this, blah, 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 blah. He goes, what are you afraid of? I'm like, dude, you're not listening to me. I'm angry. And he goes, Chris, what are you afraid of? And, and until I can get to that root, that fear, I'm just pruning the tree. Right. Because all these defects are secondary. And, I, and, you know, I'll do some work on some anger and it'll relieve for a little bit, but it'll always come back up because I'm not directly digging with God and finding out what that fear is. And once we can get that fear removed, those things kind of just fade away a little bit. And, uh, you know, and I get to pass that on to the guys I work with. When they call me all fired up, I'm just sitting back. I'm like, nah, I get to use this now. Hey, buddy, what are you afraid of? And, and uh, you know, when we do our day, nightly review, we got this unit out here. Um, there's like, 50 of us and we send uh, our nightly reviews out and we just you know whatever it's, it's called a, a, a review pod and we write it down it started because a few guys were struggling with it and we do that every night you know that's been a non-negotiable since i got sober out here uh we write out our answers and we share it with one another and it helped some sponsees and then you know the sponsor and everybody was like wow that's cool let's do it so at the end of the day that's what the process looks like and and i gotta be honest like i don't think there's been a day where there hasn't even been a little bit of fear or self since I've been sober. And that's cool to acknowledge that, right? It's cool to be able to sit with fear today. It's cool to be able to acknowledge that, you know what, I'm driven by fear, you know, and the best day I might have, because God allows me to, it might be a fleeting fear, like they drive nuts out here. And if I get really quiet and think about it, yeah, I was scared as heck on the highway today. It's still there, right? And I gotta, I gotta acknowledge that stuff. So like, what a gift that's been to acknowledge that I'm wired with this fear inside of me and I'm not such a great guy. You know, I, uh, I do things for Chris still. Um, I fall short every day and I need you guys to help pick me back up. But I, I got out of that facility and, and we got busy, you know, I, I got to plug into a real home group and uh, I know where I come from. Men's meetings were never a thing. Um, the way I was raised in Alcoholics Anonymous where you go to mixed meetings because you got to learn how to treat women uh, as sisters and mothers. And, and, and that was my wholehearted belief, like men's meetings. I'm not going to those. And I went to this men's meeting on a Saturday morning. There's over a hundred guys in there. And I just, it was a place I walked into and there's guys with 55 years, guys with 55 seconds. And there was just no spiritual hilltop, man. Like the 55, 50, 45 guys, 45 years sober, they just are a part of man. And they're busy setting up donuts and, and, and everyone's just doing a task. And I watch those guys and I'm like, man, like you really don't arrive in this thing. Like you just stick around. And I remember when I was down in Atlanta at the world convention and guys, they had a 50 plus panel and uh, there was 150 people sitting up front with 50 years plus sober. And they picked uh, names from this big Georgia peach. And I love peaches. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And uh, 
they came up one after one after one. I mean, my buddies are sitting up in the Georgia Dome in the rafters, and we're like, all right, 50 plus, these are going to be the ones. And this is the old thinking. I'm like, we're going to hear the magic. We're going to hear things that no one's ever heard. Like, they're going to give us like the, the cliff notes to some stuff that's outside of the big book. Like, I can't wait for this. And every single one of those speakers, trust God, clean house, help others. And I felt like I got robbed, man. We all let, we walked out like, was that the right meeting? Like, did we get short change? Like, what are they talking about? None of us were like on the beam, <laughs> obviously. And uh, I come to find out, like, <laughs> I had sides to this triangle and I turn it into an octagon. And I, I just, I'm so smart. I'm such a smarty pants. And it's when I'm at my most peace and I'm serving others and thinking about God, it's just living in that triangle, man. And I'm like, how did they come up with this stuff? Like, where did this, it's all like, it's just profound. Keep it simple. And, and I always complicated it and I still do. Um, and some of the coolest things happen along the journey, right? The, the, the neatest thing for me to this day is still seeing the whites in the eyes, seeing the eyes pop out of people's heads. And it's not because I'm such a great guy. And uh, I just love seeing people get sober. Um, I got a sponsor who just got his daughter back in his life. And, and I told him, I'm like, dude, that may not be your story. You know, the promises don't say we get our kids back. I'm like, that's not what we're promised. You know, we're not promised cars and these cool jobs and fancy wives and all that. Like the promises are spiritual in nature. It promises me I don't got to be a hot dog in a microwave. You know, it promises me levity. It promises me that I'm going to be able to be of service to other people. All the stuff that I was afraid of, it promises me these spiritual tokens that I can go out and live like a normal human being. I thought I had to live in institutions my whole life. I was the guy telling my sponsor, I got to go back to prison. I can't live out here. I can't shop. I can't be comfortable in my own skin. And there, at least I can get three meals and I'm taken care of. And he's crying like, what is wrong with you, dude? And I sit here a free man today because of you people and a loving God that I get to do business with today. But I have to take the actions I got to do is work no matter what. When I don't do the work, I suffer. And, uh, you know, I, I've had experiences in my years sober. My daughter called me, the one that wrote me off. And, uh, and she said, like, she made an amends to me. She said, Dad, I'm sorry for uh, cutting you off. I'm sorry for not believing in you. And I just want you back in my life. I'm like, what are you like? What? And it's because every time I came into AA, I expected those types of things. I expected my kid to come back because that's what they do with your kid. You're the dad. Like, I just didn't know. And I would be so ungrateful. You know, I get my kid back and I just sit there like a slug. Like that's that's supposed to happen. The moment I take my eyes off that those kinds of things and those 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 false crisp promises, then sometimes God's like, here, check this out, stupid. And we have a beautiful relationship today. She's getting married next May, and I get to walk her down the aisle. Uh, we go up and visit her in Washington all the time. She had, she came out here and lived with us for a year because she didn't want to go with her mom. She didn't know what was going on with her life. She was doing college and didn't know what she wanted. And Dad, can I come live there? Absolutely. And we got to live this thing in the house with her, you know, and, and uh, how cool that experience was. And her and I have a, a relationship that's like unlike any other. And I get to Zoom with her and, and it's just amazing. And she trusts me today. And it, and that's wild. Um, you know, I got to hold my mother's hand and make amends to her when she passed. And that was cool. Like I made amends to her and I was flying out a lot to New York to visit her after that process. She loved me in the house. And she, thanks for, you know, bringing my baby boy back home. And, 
and, and it wasn't about me. Like it wasn't about me losing my mom. You people taught me it's about my sister, my brother, my father, my aunts and my uncles that don't have a program. I get to fly home and serve. Chris, clean some dishes. Go ask your aunt how she's doing. You know, when I did those things and I just got to be a part of, I got to be a spoke in the wheel of my mom's life, not the baby boy, Christopher, that lost his mom, you know, the, the sufferer. And I can't do that on my own. Um, and my dad passed away, you know, a few years ago, surprisingly. We didn't expect that. And uh, I was able to sit there with him, too. And we don't know if he hurt us or not, but we prayed over him. And, and that was neat, right? And uh, we get to walk through these experiences together, man. I had guys in New York. I had guys in Arizona on Zoom. Like it was, it was nuts. You guys, you guys showed up, and I and I hope I do that for other people when stuff's going on. And I'd like to think I do. I get opportunities, and it's all God giving me opportunities. Um, when I see Chris, I suffer, and I, I I don't know if I do anything good in and of myself. I I just I don't know if I've gotten to that place yet. Unless my will's aligned with my higher powers, it's just always self. It's always based in Chris. And I can't outrun it. I can't outthink it. Like with the first one, the best I got is still like not good enough. And I still use it every day, sometimes for a moment, sometimes for hours, sometimes for a couple of days. I still just try to force the solution is, is myself. And it doesn't work. And it pushes people away. And I got to make amends. And it steps on toes. And then I come humbly back to God like, dude, I need you. You know, and he's always there and you guys are always there. And that's the coolest thing about this process is I know I'm not going to arrive now. You know, I know when I got a, a, a grand sponsor with 48 years and a sponsor with 30 years who get transparent about how they fall short, that it's OK for me to say these things, too. I never knew those things. I thought I had to come in and float on water and I, I couldn't share how I was broken inside, because what would you think about me as an alcoholic? Like, if I told you how I struggled, you would write me off. You wouldn't like me. I'm not doing something right. Oh, we got to go back to the first step. We got to go back to the third. Like, no, that's part of the deal. Every day, it's a little bit of a brokenness, I think. And sometimes it's a sliver and that's like, you know, the highway scaring me. And some days it's a Grand Canyon. Like I got some health issues going on myself and uh, it's not always easy. And some days I look at my daughter, I got a two-year-old now and we, we were able to, so I got a 22-year-old and I got a little two-year-old, Gracie. And uh, only an alcoholics anonymous, man. I'm hearing, Dad, I'm getting married, and I gotta go change a diaper. It's nuts, and it, and it's what God planned for us, man. And, and it's the most beautiful thing because I've always wanted a family. I've always, always wanted kids and to share love, and and God has allowed for that to happen. And I have the perfect wife in my eyes to do that with, and it's amazing. And she's not my old therapist that <laughs> that I thought was so healthy, you know. Like I just don't know what's best for me, you know. I, I go down to Atlanta. And uh, I, I'm not meeting women. We're going for AA, you know, and I, that lasted to the last night. And this girl shows up and, Hey, what's your name? And uh, I'm not here for, for this. That's my name. <laughs> and she says, okay. She goes, that's good. I, I respect that. She goes, well, we'll be at this dance over here later tonight. And there's 80,000 people and there's dances all over the place. We're like, all right, I'm going to see you over there. <laughs> and we, 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 we don't know what she said. We don't know where she said. And we went to a dance. And it happened to be the one and there's 20,000 people. And we go outside and there she is. And we danced and, and changed numbers. And that was it. And today she's my wife, man. And she works a very strong program and uh, she doesn't work my program. I don't work her program all the time. Um, Cause that's impossible to do. Cause I'm still Chris K. 
and uh <laughs> still broken i don't know what she's doing with me but god gave us this little this little beam this sunbeam man and and my daughter loves me and i pick her up from daycare and she runs up to me jumps in my arms and i miss those opportunities with my other with my other girl and uh, i get new opportunities with her and it's not why i stay in alcoholics anonymous i go sit with a guy and i take him through the book and then i get to go have that reward I sit here and I get to connect with you people and then I get to call family and see how they're doing. That's how it has to work. I always worked it the other way. And uh, they say, hey, must come first. And they say, hey, is everything, Chris. Principles have to be across the board and everywhere in your life. On the highway is Alcoholics Anonymous. At work is Alcoholics Anonymous. At home is Alcoholics Anonymous. They're like, but you have to do your disciplines first. And uh, I've come to find out that's that's the only way I can do this thing. Because I've tried everything else and I put the job and the woman and the this and this in front and I, and I lost. And, and most importantly, everybody around me lost that needed me. And uh, I'm, I'm just not willing to go down that route again, whether I'm sick, whether I'm this, whether I'm that. I got to take care of myself. And that's the hardest thing today for me. My sponsor works with me on is pulling back and doing self-care with my health stuff. And I come to find out God is in my bed, too. <laughs> I come to find out that I grow really close with God when I'm laying in bed. And taking care of myself. I was so afraid to do that early on. He goes, Chris, you need major self-care. I'm like, well, if I'm not serving and I'm not trudging and you're, I'm like, where's God? God's inside of me. That's what the book tells me. So I can, I can be with God sitting and just being. And then there's this old lady that used to say, she says, Chris, you're doing, a, you're, you're doing a lot. She goes, I don't see you being a lot. I was like, man. And that hits me still to this day because I just want to serve and love and trust. And sometimes that looks different. And uh, and I'm learning, man. I do not have a Ph.D. in Alcoholics Anonymous, more like a kindergarten. And I just want to stay right there. Like, I just want to keep growing, man, and, and falling short and crawling back to God and you people again. Um, I'm going to shut up now. I think that's enough. And uh, I just really appreciate the honor to be with you guys tonight. And uh, I love you all. And that's all. Wow. <clears throat> Thank you so much, Chris.